The book was better. We're back at it again. And episode three. Hello. Hi. Welcome back to The Book Was Better. I don't know welcome back. It's been two weeks. It's probably too long of a period to say welcome back. Welcome to another episode of... You can say welcome back whenever you want. Welcome back to another episode. There we go. To another episode. Okay. Of The Book Was Better. I'm Kaylee Clark. And I'm Taylor Collette. If you've forgotten, or if you haven't listened to our past episodes, in which case... What are you doing? Go listen. Probably, sh- especially since we're doing the Harry Potter series. It, they kind of specifically go in order. <laughs> they kind of build on each other a little bit. So. Just a little bit. Um, however, before we get into today's topic, which is the third Harry Potter book, The Prisoner of Azkaban, a couple, again, I don't ever really know what to call it because they're not necessarily corrections, but more... Just like things we additions. missed last week. Yeah. So additional information. I say from last, last week's week. episode. Two weeks Two ago. Two weeks ep- yeah, This is going to be episode. an eternal struggle for us. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, da, 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 da. Anyway, so, and this is even actually additional information from the first two. So some of the things that we've talked about that are we've really been impressed with from the movies and so far and how they follow the books is the music. We say we've talked about how fantastic the score is and how good the music is. I mean, honestly, anyone knows the Harry Potter soundtrack. It comes on and people are like, oh, that's Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to just mention that the music for the first three films are all done by John Williams. Not all the music for the rest of them, but these first three movies are all done by John Williams. And I feel like he really set the tone. I feel like the movies from here on out oh, try to follow the same kind of theme that he set. Because they include similar melodies and everything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he really different... did set the tone for the rest of the series. Yeah, no, for and sure. And he did it well. Um. Something else we talked about was costuming and how fantastic the costume design is. Um, so in the first the, two, I in the first two need to specify that. OK, well, I don't think it's awful in the third one. I don't remember seeing them wearing their robes at all. That's true. Since when did they just get to wear muggle clothes around all the time? Uh, to me, they, they only wear the muggle clothes on Hogsmeade days. Don't they? Are you talking about the No, they wear them like all the time. I guess that's true. Well, okay. Well, we'll get to that when I tell you these things. So (laughs) costume design for the first movie was done by, uh, I'm going to not say her name correctly because it's kind of a weird name. No offense to Judiana (laughs) Makovsky. Anyway. She was the costume, head of costume design for the first movie. Lindy Hemming was the head of costume design for the second movie. And then Janie Tamime, Janie Tamime, I don't know. It's another weird name. She's the costume director for the rest of the movies. 
So this oh. one through the end of the series, she does the rest of them. And I'd like to say, you consistently don't see a lot of robes through the rest of the movie. <laughs> True. Like just when they're in classes. That's a good point. Um, and then something else we talked about that we've been really impressed with in the movies is the sets and mm -hmm. like the castle looks like every the, the sets and the locations, even if they don't stay consistent throughout the movies in where they you know, like Hagrid's hut completely it jumps moves around, location, but it looks just like what you'd think Hagrid's hut looked like based on what you read in the books. And that's the same two people throughout one through eight, the entire movie series. It's all Stuart Craig and Stephanie McMillan. They do a great job. There's a couple times where they didn't get it right on the nose, I'll say. Like, for instance, in this one, we're about to get into Professor Trelawney's room is described quite differently in the book. But I kind of disagree. Well, it's supposed to be the like the only thing that's described differently is how you get into it. No, but I it's supposed to have the red. It's supposed to be very dimly lit, which I get for filming probably wasn't ideal. But I felt like in the in the movie, it was. I mean, I'm being a harsh it, critic. They there. got all the little tables with the little cushions. and yes, the little I'm, chairs. I'm being and, a harsh critic there. Overall, and, and they do a great costume job. design for Trelawney was perfect. Mm -hmm. the, what and the actress, what, too. Emma Thompson. Yeah, well, yeah, Emma Thompson. But the way they had her dressed matched perfectly the description of what she had in the book, yeah. I think. But but yeah, like in the book, they climb a little ladder up through a trap door to get into the divination classroom. And I feel like in the movie that just would have been too hard for them to do. And so they just didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's a normal and, doorway. And again, it's it can only be tower. it can only be so dim in the classroom because they need to film. Yeah. And they can't show scent through a movie, sadly, because like one of the big things is that it smells so strongly of like incense or whatever in there that it's like. And they probably also your couldn't mind. have muggles? it so smoky and misty mind. because, yeah, it would influence the filming again. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to mention those things. Um, Shout out to the peeps. I did so last week as well. And I you'd think I would just start remembering, which is why I'm I'm just slowly adding to my list. So. As we get into movie three, book three here, um, the book was written by J.K. Rowling, right? We've <laughs> That's going to be a consistent one. We have uh, determined that. Um, the movie was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Sure. Screenplay was again by Steve Cloves. So still Steve Cloves. He's now done all three so far. Mm -hmm. um, and then music was John Williams. Costume design, Janie to mime. And then the set directors were Stuart Craig and Stephanie McMillan. And I understand there are loads of other roles and loads of other. Important people in the process. Important people that make a movie what it is. Um, you see how long the credits are at the end of these films. I'm not going to read everything off, but those are. I do believe in giving credit where credit is due. And I feel like we have specifically mentioned things that. It is important to note by name who these people are. And to see so. the differences mm -hmm. as you go through the films, like to see like the director, like the first two were directed by the same guy and this one was directed by Alfonso. And you can definitely see a difference in the directing style watching the first two movies versus this one. 
yet there's also similarities that you can tell is done not by the director, but through the screenplay, which was written by the same guy mm-hmm. still. Um, one thing I will say that, I, I mean, I, I can't definitively say I'm not sure whether I prefer the way Chris Columbus did it or Alfonso did, but one thing I did really enjoy is the way that Alfonso directed transitions between scenes, the way that they used the Whomping Willow to transition between the seasons. And they kind of, you know, they showed the Whomping Willow as it was fall and then as it was winter and then as it was spring to kind of show how long they He's been definitely at more, I'd say he's got a more artistic style to his mm-hmm. directing compared to Chris Columbus, who was more just like, this is Cut how it is. Which isn't bad. I mean, I love all the movies, so I can't really say yeah, yeah no like that's what said, i'm saying i'm not saying one's better than the other that's just something that specifically stood out to me in this one that i enjoyed so mm-hmm. um but also just before we get into it too i know that most likely if you're listening to this podcast you have seen the movie or read the book or both right um but i'm not sure how recently you have so I like to just give like a very small synopsis before we get into it, just to get people in the right mindset. So third Harry Potter book, Harry's third year at Hogwarts. Um, The big plot point in this one is that a mass murderer and supposed right-hand man of Lord Voldemort has escaped from Azkaban by the name of Sirius Black and... The ministry trying to catch him as well as trying to protect Harry causes all sorts of drama and things to happen throughout the school year. Without giving away too many spoilers, even though we'll end up spoiling. It's <laughs> like we're about to go into this podcast. The most spoiler <laughs> stuff ever. But also before but yeah. we get too into it, we're going to do a shameless self plug for our social media platform. We have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all can be found at tbwb podcast one more time tbwb podcast stands for the book was better podcast and we post on there all the time about the stuff we talked about in the podcast stuff we didn't get to talk about in the podcast mm-hmm. that's where we ask you guys for fan faux pause that's where we post fun stuff that's going on so go give us a follow over there interact with us let us know your thoughts on the stuff that we talk about or if you're not a social media person i get it then we also have an email address which is tbwbpodcast at gmail.com and you're also welcome to send us your fan pause over there tell us your thoughts give us feedback and speaking of feedback if you are enjoying our podcasts we would greatly appreciate it if you could give us a five-star rating on apple podcasts because that is a big help for us and getting the word out about us and it just helps people to find us and we would appreciate it so much thanks i personally don't listen to podcasts on apple podcasts i listen on spotify so i didn't even think about that so yes please if you like it if you enjoy listening to us rant (laughs) um please give us a rating and then also let 
friends of yours know about us. If you have friends that enjoy books, enjoy reading, enjoy movies, we would appreciate the free advertising. <laughs> but yeah, uh, with that, let's jump into our grievances for book three. All right. So I think I go first. Yep. You're going first. This week. Yeah. Because you went first mm-hmm. last week. Okay. Just as another little reminder, we do three, two, one, starting with our smallest like third, grievance. <laughs> smallest grievance. Yeah. Our smallest grievance that was still big enough to make the top three. <laughs> yeah. And then we count down to, our um, to number one. one. And we mentioned some honorable mentions here and there in between. Um, so my number three grievance about this third movie adaptation is they completely cut out Sir Cadagan. For those who have only watched the movies and haven't read the book, Sir Cadagan is a knight. It's a painting. He's a painting. He's yes, a knight so in a painting. Right? He's, one of, he's one of the moving portraits. Um, he rides a big fat gray pony not even like a full horse or steed they specifically describe it as a pony because Um, he's rather small yes and his portrait his like home portrait is like up i think it's like on the on a corridor up on like the fourth or fifth floor it's a big portrait that's like a field yeah and And it's just just like him and his pony hallway so he first gets introduced when Ron and uh, Harry and Hermione are trying to find the divination classroom, which is at the like highest spot of a, the tower where they've never been before in their first two years at school. They didn't have classes anywhere near there. They'd never been in that tower. And there's no one around. There's nobody in. There's not many portraits or anything. And then there's just his. And so they ask. And he's just this really goofy knight. He's clumsy. Um but he, he speaks wants with to all challenge this gusto. Everyone <laughs> and anything. What he says when they ask him for directions is he goes, ah, a quest. Like, um, and so that's when he's first introduced. Then later, when the fat lady gets attacked by Sirius Black because she won't let him into Gryffindor Tower. She's too afraid and ashamed to go back. They need someone to guard the portrait to let people in and out of Gryffindor Tower. And Sir Cadagan is the only portrait who is brave enough or, you know, willing to do that job. Um, No one else is willing to do it. So, Mm -hmm. um, and they talk, it's, he's just, it's, it's funny it adds some lightheartedness to it, but it also, you know, explains, gives some explanation to um, some stuff that happens with Sirius Black. So he like they talk about how he changes the passwords all the time. And yeah, he enjoys challenging everyone who comes to the to get into the common room to like mm-hmm. duels. And he loves he does like seven or eight passwords a week. He's just like, yep, it's like everyone a different password every is day annoyed by him. No one's and happy he calls that everybody there. rogues and knaves and yes. all these things. Like even the people who live in Gryffindor Tower, like who have the passwords and like should be let in, uh, he gives everybody a hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then specifically, there, and this entire thing is cut out of the movie. Sirius Black 
gets into the Gryffindor common room. So after he breaks, it's after he breaks in the first time. And that's when everyone has to sleep in the Great Hall. That's in the movie. And then after that, this is the part they cut. He gets in again. He comes in again. Gets into the common room. He gets in. And he's, and Ron spots him standing over his bed. Yeah, spots him. He's awoken by him. Yeah, awoken by him because he's, and he's holding a knife. And he screams and freaks out and Black flees. And everybody doesn't believe Ron at first. And they're like, you just had a nightmare. Because it's kind of a crazy thing. For it's anyone insane. to get into the common room. It's like room. you have to have the password, right? And so Minerva McGonagall comes in, Professor McGonagall, and she's even like, what? that's not possible. <laughs> and Ron goes, asks her, like, Cadagan, like, ask him. And so she does. And she's like, Sir Cadagan, did you let a guy in? And he's all like, certainly, madam. And she's like, wait, what? Why? And he's like, He had the password. In fact, he had all of the passwords written down on a piece of paper because Neville was especially tortured by Sir Cadagan because he has the worst memory. Mm -hmm. So he had to write down the passwords and able to ever be let into the tower himself. Yes. So Um, in an earlier scene prior to this, Ron and Harry overhear Neville talking about how he lost the paper that he'd written down all of the week's passwords on. And he was like, he couldn't get into the common room because he'd lost the paper. And Mm -hmm. Sir Cadigan was like, I can't let you in without the password. Harry and Ron help him in. But it's just kind of like a subtle thing. And you're like, whatever. Oh, he lost the passwords. That sucks. Then this scene happens and you're like, oh, snap. And actually, this is a deleted scene in the movie. Not all of it. Part of it. Just like... Just the scene in the common room, which is weird to me. It seems like the least important. And it makes part sense to me that they deleted it because it's like, yeah, you didn't bother telling the rest of the storyline that would make this scene relevant. Mm-hmm. So, um, but just the scene where like Professor McGonagall asks Sir Cadagan if he let somebody in, that is a deleted scene that you can see like on the Blu-ray and DVD, like uh, bonus features, but it was cut. Um, I just thought he was funny and it was interesting. And then it talks about how after that happened, um, Sir Cadagan was sacked as being the portrait whole guardian. Um, and they got the fat lady back, but she only agreed to do it if they got additional security. So then there's like five or six trolls, security trolls, are they trolls or ogres? Trolls and ogres aren't all that different, are they? <laughs> I know, but I just remember trolls from the first one, and they're like so dumb. So that's why. But I that's a but that's a mountain ogres. troll, they're, or a cave troll, or I'm now getting confused with Lord of the Rings. They brought a cave <laughs> troll. Um, we'll get to that one later. <laughs> um, sorry. Pretty Here sure I go. thought they were trolls, but maybe they are ogres. Either way. Additional security that is then an additional nuisance to all of the Gryffindor people because they now have to deal with these. Oh, they are trolls. You were right. You were right. Okay. <laughs> like I was trying to find it in my book and I couldn't find it because yep. um, they now have to deal with this these additional trolls. They pace the corridor in a menacing group talking in grunts and comparing the size of their clubs. Yes. Um, see, trolls like their clubs, just like the troll in the first one. But. And I mean, by the way, Neville doesn't get off easy. 
Neville is no. forbidden no. from knowing the password, so he always has to wait for someone. So he's always stuck McDonald's outside with the furious. trolls. She's ticked. His grandma sends him a howler, which is like the worst thing ever mm-hmm. to a Which is also student. cut from the movie, right? But mm-hmm. and it's like so and she gives him detention. She's yeah. like, you're not allowed on any more of the Hogsmeade trips. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't say he can't have the password. She just says that nobody can remind him of it. Once he's forgotten it, which you know he will forget it, no one can tell him what it is. I thought he wasn't allowed to know it. No, I I don't know. I, pretty sure. Either way. He's not going to remember it and he's not going to know it. And so then he has to wait around. Oh, yeah. I guess it is forbidden anyone to give him the password into the tower. But the fact that Neville then gets banned from Hogsmeade trips becomes another nuisance. It makes it harder for Harry to sneak in and visit Hogsmeade later um, because Neville's like, oh, Harry, you can't go either. Can I hang out with you? Like, will you help me with my essay on vampires? Like, <laughs> which doesn't matter in the movie since he only goes once. <laughs> True. But there's also only one Quidditch match in the movie. Yeah. There's like three so, in this book. Three four. Four. Yeah. Like all of them. They talk about their game against all of them. Huffle and Puff, then the Raven final. Southern, yeah. And then the final. Because then there's that last I think four, but anyway. So that's my number one. Not my number one. My number three, but the first one I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> um, is just that character being left out and those scenes. I I understand for time why they couldn't include everything, but um, I thought he was an interesting story arc and something that um, Rowling used to tie a lot of, to like make things make sense and, Mm-hmm. Um, make you wonder and because it's like when Sirius comes in you're like if he's trying to kill Harry why is he standing over Ron's bed he knows what Harry looks like but they do have four posters with the curtains drawn closed and but but still it gets you questioning uh-huh I mean and once wondering. you've gotten to the end and you reread you're like oh because he was going there the whole time it was never about Harry yeah and also, Sirius knew. I'll get to it. I'll get to it later. Okay. Yeah. That's my number three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll get into mine, which is pretty simple to talk about, but is kind of an, another overarching one throughout the whole series. And that's the houses interacting with each other. I feel like in the movies, it's so like Slytherins are with Slytherins. Gryffindors are with Gryffindors. Ravenclaws are with Ravenclaws. Hufflepuffs are with Hufflepuffs. You do not intermix. You yeah. do not talk to each other. <laughs> like, it's so serious. Whereas in the movies and book, or in the books, not the movies, um, they, like, interact with each other all the time. Well, not only because they share classes with different classes with each house. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, also, like, no one likes the Slytherins, which is sad. But... J.K. Rowling wrote them as (laughs) dum-dums and annoying people, so. But, like, when Gryffindor is going against Slytherin in, like, a Quidditch match, Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw are, like, huge Gryffindor fans. They, like, dress up, like, all for Gryffindor because they just hate Slytherin. everyone basically becomes a fan of whatever team, whatever house is against Slytherin. Yeah. And, like, when Harry gets the firebolt 
it's not just the Gryffindors that come around him. It's like Hufflepuffs come over and Ravenclaws come over. And let's talk about the fact that Percy, Percy Weasley, who becomes head boy, which, I mean, you kind of get in this movie, but it doesn't really, it's not made he up He says clear. it that one time. I'm head I'm boy. Head boy. <laughs> um, but he has a Ravenclaw girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Who's like. He's dating someone in Ravenclaw. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, they have like a bed over a Quidditch match and it's like super fun and like only good fun. And so it's just like, I wish that they had shown more intermingling of the houses to show that like, yeah, you have your house, but like, it doesn't mean you can only be friends with people in your house. They do that a little bit more. In later ones. As the movies go on. Like obviously Luna, when she comes in, she's in Ravenclaw. Well, and also like with Cho Chang, mm-hmm. which Cedric I'll talk Diggory. about. Her in a, I'll talk about both of them in a minute. <laughs> um, you know, when again we're, we're getting our head of, ahead of ourselves. Just mm-hmm. when they do the whole Dumbledore's army thing, like that's not just Gryffindor kids in there. It's, but it's like I talked about last time, where I talked about, or maybe two times ago, whenever I talked about it being convenient. They no, go that was convenient. last. That was last episode. I yeah. feel like again they're like we already have Gryffindors, we already have the robes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but just, just go a little bit further. Just, just really bring or it all together. They don't want to overcomplicate the scene with having too many people in it or something. Or too many colors on the robes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> bring that up with, uh, with uh, Janie to mime. I'm going to say her name different. And again, as time. I mentioned before, all their classes are not with Slytherins and they love doing that. But I don't think they did that in this movie. Yes, they did. They don't have defense against the dark arts with the Slytherins. But in the movie, oh, Malfoy's right. there being like, this class I was thinking is ridiculous. specifically of... Um, Paramagical creatures. Paramagical creatures, That one is, is with, with the Slytherin. Slytherin. And potions mm-hmm. is still with the Slytherins. Mm-hmm. I potions don't even, is always with the Slytherins. Potions isn't even in this movie at all. Right, it's not. No. They have like two whole classes. The important ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's my number three. Is just I wish that they had shown more house interactions because I feel like that is something that a lot of people like get really worked up about, like their house and being like this house is the best and like being really protective of like their house, which none of you actually went to Hogwarts, so you don't really have a house. But anyways, I was How the same dare for a while. You? I am in Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, no, you can be friends with everyone. Just, you know, they didn't show up. Well, and the fact that you do have, not only do you have classes with the other houses, you have weekends, you have evenings, you have, it's not like, it's not like when you're not in class, you are stuck in your common rooms. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not. Yeah, when you are in your common rooms, you are only with your friends that are in your house. But there's the library. There's classrooms you can go study in. You can go out on the grounds. Yeah, the grounds are huge. mm -hmm, There's all sorts of, like, realistically, you think, you know, when when you go to any sort of boarding school or college, university, you know, anything where you have roommates, you kind of live on campus or whatever, you don't. Just hang out with your roommates. No. <laughs> you know, like you're not only friends with your roommates. No. You're hopefully friends with them. But not always. You also, you make friends with those kids that are 
in your class. And mm-hmm. if the people in your class are not just in your house, you're going to have friends in other houses. <laughs> or like, for instance, this is jumping way ahead, but I'll just do a little tie in like Lily and Snape. They were friends. They put, got put in different houses. But they were friends before they but came But that's what I'm saying. Like, there's probably people that go to Hogwarts that were friends oh, beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get put in different houses. But it, just because I'm not in the same house as you doesn't mean I'm suddenly going to stop being friends with you. Derek left his phone in here. Sorry, Derek is my husband. And he left his phone in here. And it's making noise. And I don't know if it's coming across. So hold on just one second. I'm going to go give it to him. Okay. <laughs> And we're cutting it. Steven. Just kidding. We don't have a Steven. <laughs> I don't know what that's from. It's just me. I'm just the one that edits it. Okay. Who is Steven? <laughs> what is that from? It's a different podcast I listen to. Oh. And they have a third person that like does all that for them. So sometimes in the podcast you can hear, Steven, edit that out. And But then he leaves it in. It's mm. funny. Anyway. It's funny. <laughs> Inside joke for those who listen to that other podcast. I won't even say what it is. But if you know, you know. Okay. I don't know. It's true crime related, so you wouldn't enjoy it a whole lot. Nope. Not my cup of tea. It's not your cup of tea. (laughs) All right. Okay. That was my number three. Your number two. My number two is... I'm saying the Hogsmeade scene because... In the movie, there really is only one. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the book. In the book. There's lots of Hogsmeade There's multiple. Scenes. And in the movie, they kind of combine mash them. them. They kind of mash them all together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't, I don't understand why they did this specific scene the way they did in the movie. Let me explain. So. <laughs> Let me explain. In the book. Harry finds the secret passage because Fred and George give him the um, Marauder's Map, right? Mm-hmm. And um, also something else. In the opening speech, Dumbledore specifically mentioned when talking about the Dementors being on the grounds and guarding all the entrances and exits, he specifically says that they are not fooled by invisibility cloaks. Ergo... <laughs> When Harry goes to Hogsmeade, he doesn't bother with the invisibility cloak because he's like. Yeah, I don't know why they had him trying to go in an invisibility cloak because he never tries to sneak out in one because he knows it won't work. Yeah. So he's very resigned to staying at the school until Fred and George bring it up. It's not like he's trying to sneak out and then they're like, oh, we'll help you. It's like because he knows and he He's terrified of the Dementors. He hates them. He hates the feeling mm-hmm. that they that he passes out and nobody else does, which makes him ashamed. And anyway, so Fred and George find him. That seems mostly accurate of them giving him the map and then being like, it's awful us giving it to you, but we've decided that your needs are greater than ours. We And it's we, true. They get it from Filch's office. That's yeah, it's like we nicked it. it from Filch's office our first year, blah, 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 blah. Um, I saw him so before I'm up to no good. Uh-huh, that's managed. all accurate. He uses it to find the passage that goes into Honeyduke's basement. That's all accurate. Mm-hmm. But again, no invisibility cloak. Um, he And it's so crowded that nobody notices him. So he just yeah, goes Yeah, because like the town's packed with all these Hogwarts students. And even Ron says that when he goes up to Ron and Hermione in Honeyduke's. 
Mm-hmm. Ron's like, how the heck is anyone going to find him in all this? And it's like snowing out. There's tons because of Hermione's totally against it. She's she's yeah. like, there's a killer out trying to get you. What are you doing? <laughs> like, Hermione is downplayed a lot in the movie. She's still like a big stickler for rules. And mainly because she's pretty mad at her. She's super worried about Harry. Yeah, no, her intentions are good and she's totally coming from the right place. And honestly, I would probably be the same if I were her and one of my best friends was being targeted by a killer. And think about it. Why are you trying to do this? They're 13 year old boys. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd be like, y'all are dumb. Y'all are real dumb. (laughs) Real stupid. Anyway, um, but no invisibility cloak. He finds Ron and Hermione. Hermione's not happy about it at first, but, you know, she goes along with it. They show him around. They end up at the Three Broomsticks, which is not closed to underage wizards that There's day no, or whatever. Let me just real quick. 30 second rant. There's no freaking shrunken heads in the book. And I don't know why they decided to have shrunken heads in the movie. I hate them. I think they're dumb. And I thought it was kind of weird that they had them at all. So, yeah, no shrunken heads saying that they can't come in. Also, Harry's not under an invisibility cloak. It's super crowded because it's cold and butterbeer is a warm beverage. So everybody's in the three broomsticks. Harry, Ron and Hermione happen to find a a small table like over in the corner. Mm -hmm. So they go over there to drink their butterbeer and warm up, especially because Harry didn't really plan on going there. He was it was kind of like a. Pleasant surprise when Fred and George showed him that he could. So he yeah, didn't so have like his heavy cloak. He's not in a cloak. Anything. He's frozen. Yeah. So he was really cold. And then they see Professor McGonagall, Professor Flitwick, Hagrid, and um, Cornelius Fudge walk in. And mm-hmm. Ron and Hermione shove Harry under the table. They like both put their hands on his head and just like push him down. And, and then, then Hermione, Hermione moves a magic's tree. a tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to kind of block because them from view. It's the last weekend before the Christmas holiday. Um, so everyone's out getting drinks, excited, ready for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, and that's even something they say. Harry's all like, well, duh, it's the last weekend. Of course, the professors are excited, too. Of course, mm-hmm. they're going to be out here, too. Um, but anyway. And then Hermione Madame moves the Rosen- tree. Madam Rose Merta? Madam Rose Merta. Which, I don't know. I felt like in the movie, she just was not what I pictured in my mind when I read the book. Thoughts? Well, but here's the thing. She's, which is so funny, because this is now the opposite of what I've gotten mad about before. Rose (laughs) Merta is too young. (laughs) Because in the book, she mentions remembering Young James Potter and mm-hmm. Sirius Black and, and you know, that their group of friends coming in to the three broomsticks and mm-hmm. her serving them. Meaning she doesn't remember them coming in because she was also a student. She remembers them coming in because she still owned and ran the three broomsticks 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? like. So. But I mean, she's supposed to be wearing like s- turquoise sparkly heels. Well, yeah, she's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Extravagant. Mm. And and, I, and I'm not saying that you can't be like an older 
person, older man, older woman, and still be very attractive in things. We've mm-hmm. all seen J-Lo. We've all seen Jennifer Aniston. Age gracefully, they're beautiful still. <laughs> Not saying that Madame Rosmerta couldn't be older and still be the beautiful woman that, you know, Ron is all like, oh, I'll go get him because mm-hmm. he wants to go, like, talk to her. But, yeah, just a little rant. But um, she's like, oh, my gosh, the Minister of Magic. And and there is a little bit of the banter of how's business. And she's like, well, it would be a lot better if you didn't have those dumb dementors coming through. And he's like, well, it's for you and everybody else's safety. So, like, maybe don't jump on my throat about that. Like, yeah. um, And then he invites her to have a drink with them mm-hmm. and so they sit she, down at a table very in, in right next to in public exactly it's in the middle of the three broomsticks around everything else right next to where ron hermione and a hidden harry are sitting but because hermione moved the tree none of them could tell that they were sitting right there either because i doubt if mcgonagall had noticed that it was ron and hermione sitting there that she would have let that conversation happen because she would know that they would then tell Harry. Well, and Cornelius Fudge, before he starts talking, looks around to make sure no one is looking. So obviously if he had seen two young Hogwarts students, even if he didn't know who they were, he probably wouldn't have gone on about this. Because some, at some point, because yeah, because Madame Rosmerta mentioned something about, you know, oh, it's so awful what Sirius Black did. And then either Fudge or McGonagall say that's not even the worst part. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, what is? And that's what Give starts me the, the whole dirt. conversation. Um, and it's it's funny because like Hagrid's sitting there. Hagrid's not a quiet person. Well, <laughs> um, is, Hagrid's not even in the scene in the movie, is he? Yeah, he is. Is he? Do you remember he pulls the door? He's like, let me get that for you, minister. Oh, right, and he right, like right, pulls right. the door entirely off. But the he sled. like doesn't really talk. Yeah. So in the in the book, he interjects because he's the one that got Harry from the wreckage of his parents' house. And he ran into Sirius when he did that. And that's when Sirius was like, here, use my motorcycle, blah, blah, blah. Well, he wanted and Harry first. He was like, give and Harry asked, to me. He was like, I'm I'm his godfather. Give him to me. And Hagrid was like, I'm sorry. I've been given very specific instructions from Dumbledore. I can't give him to you. So then he's um, like, okay, fine. Take my motorcycle. I don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. Because he's going to go find Peter Pettigrew. And Hagrid said that was weird because Sirius loved his motorcycle so much. His flying so bike. Yeah. He thought it was weird. And then everything went down. And he's like, I can't believe it. And he like goes off. <laughs> yeah, and I just don't I don't know why they made such drastic changes to that scene in the movie. Yeah, it's one because of those... in the book, Harry's sitting Harry can hear all of it, right? But so can Ron and Hermione. So they hear all of it. Yeah, and there's and... no reason for them to not have heard it. There's no reason for him to have had to sneak into this place. They're clearly not trying to hide it. They're not in their own little private room upstairs. Like Mm-mm. they're they're like and, it's and not it's, well spread. It's not like Harry immediately runs away and is all like he was their friend. Like which, <laughs> yeah, he's so dramatic about that in the movie. Like you can tell he's shook by it, but he's almost like shaken into silence by it. Where and- I love Daniel Radcliffe. 
Oh, yeah. And I know he was only 13 at the time, so he was not at his height of acting. But I feel like that was kind of also on the director for not helping him get through that scene. Because Well, but again, that scene doesn't even happen that way in the book. Yeah. So why have him do it that way in the movie? Because then, yeah, it's not even portrayed great in the movie. It's, it comes across as overly dramatic and kind of cheesy. Yeah. So... When it was um, totally possible to do it the way that the book had it. Like, there was no And it would still be reason. impactful. And there would still be that bit of drama of, like, shoot, is he going to get caught? Because he's, like, under a table behind a Christmas tree. Like, yeah. Um, and it and it does eventually get to, he, he, he but it's, it's him laying awake that night. And he can't sleep. And it's more of, like, a, an inward, like, self-resignation of... Well, and it's the next You know what? I day. kind of hope he finds me because if he does, like, and I'm going to get him. And, like, Ron and Hermione are, like, questioning him. Like, you're not going to go after him, right? You're not going to do this. And he just is silent because he, like, doesn't want to deny it because it's kind of true. But he doesn't want to say it's true because he knows they'll be mad. And, like, that's a very easy way to show Harry's mindset without, like, having to have a bunch of exposition about it. And so... It is an interesting way to approach that scene. And I, again, don't understand why. Yeah. It was just weird. Um, and there's a lot of scenes in the movie that they rearrange or do very differently. Um, mm -hmm. Snape's werewolf lesson as an, another example. But this is one of the bigger ones where I was like, it's just so different in the different. movie and I in it and I don't follow the reasoning behind it so mm -hmm. that's my number two all right okay let's see my number two kind of is like a mix of the way that they treated a couple of things to do with like Harry's parents and the martyrs and Lupin and Sirius and all of that and the way that they kind of dealt with those characters and the parts that they were in. The one that really stands out in my mind is the quote unquote screaming that Harry hears when he passes out because of the Dementors. Mm -hmm. Like in the movie, when he's on the train and he passes out, it's almost like you can't tell if it's screaming. It's just like a high pitched sound that then turns into a train whistle. And then yeah. it's like, that's, that's, all it kind of is whereas and, and I, also the screaming is almost like an opera singer yeah it's, it's like, not even like, it's not very real it's not like a horrified scream as you're about to die which is what it's supposed to be because it's supposed to be which they don't even ever fully explain this in the movie that it is his mom that he's hearing no, he no they 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 do, but it's but it's not. It's like just like an offhand comment clear. of Harry going. I think it's my mom, but like and then he, like they never talk about he it. He knows in the book because not only does he hear his mom screaming, but every time he confronts a Dementor, real or in Bogart form, he hears more and more, and so he hears not only his mom screaming, he hears her pleading for her life, pleading for Harry's life, really, and being like, mm -hmm. "Take me instead." He hears Voldemort. Have mercy. Have mercy. Mm -hmm. He hears Voldemort saying, step aside. He hears his no, dad. No, not Harry. Please, not Harry. Yeah. 
like eventually he starts hearing his dad say you take harry like i'm gonna like deal with this like i'll fend him off he hears all of this when he's like passed out because of the dementors and there's even a part in it where he like has this struggle when he's doing the lessons with lupin to learn the patronus charm where he's like a part of him kind of likes to hear his parents because he's never even if it's an awful yeah i mean it's terrible and he he's torn apart by it it's like an inner battle and he's Mm -hmm. like there's a scene where he talks to himself and he says they're dead hearing them isn't gonna bring them back like you need to get past this Yep. And, it's like a little inner pep talk. And like it's really sad and it makes you really feel for Harry that like yeah. that would be a really weird, tough, awkward position to be in. And again, this is one of those things where I don't get why they made the change. Like it's super simple to just have like a voice record and they don't have to do like all of it, but at least Mm-mm. like have a, a little bit clearer what he's hearing when he's passing out. Yeah. I mean, they at least included it because they could have just had him pass out, right? Yeah. But, but it's, yeah, it's not super clear at all. Mm-mm. Off of that, there's a part where after Harry learns that Sirius Black is his godfather, he also learns that Sirius Black was the best man at James and Lily's wedding. And he yeah. pulls out the photo album, which it is an album of multiple photos. They only ever show you, like, the one picture of Harry with his parents in the fall leaves. That's, like, the only picture they ever have. But it's and they're way to too be, old. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's supposed to be a full photo album of all of these different photos. And one of them is from James and Lily's wedding. And you see Sirius there, but he almost doesn't recognize him because he's like handsome, full of life, laughing. Well, yeah, because he hasn't been in prison for 12 years, so his hair isn't to his elbows. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, with Sirius like being in prison and stuff, on the front cover, on like his wanted posters, he's not laughing in those. He's supposed to just be serious and <laughs> he's supposed to be serious. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> it's supposed to be like only his eyes that look alive. Mm-hmm. But in the photo of the wedding, he's like happy and laughing. And that image like haunts Harry because he's like, how is this the same man? Like, and it just shows what became of him while being in Azkaban. And so, mm-hmm. again, just a little thing that they cut out or this one's more off of, like, what you learn about Sirius at a different time. I can't remember exactly where it is. I think it's in that conversation in Hogsmeade, isn't it? In Hogsmeade. Where they talk about, yeah, it is. Because Cornelius Fudge talks about how he went to Azkaban and met Sirius and said normally with Dementors, like, people go mad. Like, people can't talk. They can't, like, think clearly because the Dementors affect them so much. Well, because the Dementors literally suck out all happiness and all happy Mm -hmm. memories to the point where you don't know who you are anymore and you you lose your mind because you lose your sense of self. Hagrid talks about his time in Azkaban as well because he he spent a few months there. I thought it was two months. Wasn't it two weeks? Maybe it was two months. I don't know. Either way, not 12 years. No. But he, Not as long as a lot of the prisoners there have been there. He talks about how in that short amount of time, he wished he was dead. 
Like, he didn't want to live anymore because it was so unbearable. But yeah. Cornelius Fudge talks about how he talked to Sirius Black and he seemed totally, like, coherent, normal. Oh, and Sirius Black asked to see his newspaper. He was like, and... I miss doing the crossword puzzles. Like, yeah. And he's like, something's up with that dude. And that's another reason that Harry wants to kill Sirius is he's like, Azkaban didn't affect him. Like, he deserves worse than that. And so, again, it's just, like, little things... That they easily could have inserted, but they didn't. And I feel like really add to the story. It adds to the character. It adds to the understanding of the way the wizarding world works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Lupin says Voldemort's name. Again, it's like a very simple, subtle thing. But it's a big deal because Harry in the book is like, whoa. Like Harry, I've only ever the only heard person. Dumbledore say mm-hmm. it. Like, whoa, this is intense. And again. Again, I feel like there's a lot of subtleties that they missed in this movie. And I'll go into more in my number one because it's like chock full of subtleties. Because not only does Lupin say Voldemort, but so does Sirius Black. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't say Lord Voldemort. He just says, or the Dark Lord, you know, he says Voldemort. And that's one of the like tip, tip off, you know, like the little hints to Harry that like, wait, maybe they're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Because if Sirius was really Voldemort's right hand man, he would have referred to him as the Dark Lord or Lord Voldemort. The thing is, is that most of his followers still don't even say Voldemort; they just mm-hmm. refer to him as the Dark Lord because they feel like it's more respectful. Yeah, you know, like even Snape just says the Dark Lord, mm-hmm. and Bellatrix and the Malfoys and stuff. You yeah. know, like none of them say. Voldemort Mm -hmm. um all right that's my number two which I know kind of leads into your number one I was gonna say so so that kind of feeds into my number one so my last grievance is the shrieking shack scene um at the end because I know if you've watched the movie you know of two the one where Harry messes with Ron and Hermione and yeah but that's outside of the shrieking shack yeah I'm talking about the the scenes inside the shrieking shack shack shriek blah I say shrieking shack like a ton of times and you will not say it correctly anymore. It makes you sound like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> shrieking shack. Yes, exactly. Um, but when... It's just the whole thing. The whole thing. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Here we go. First of all, the only reason that Ron... Not Ron. That Harry and Hermione can even get into the opening under the Whomping Willow is because Hermione's cat, Crookshanks, helps them. Yes, she knows the special knot that you push on. There's a knot on the tree. Yeah. So Crookshanks, he goes up and he touches the knot and he's like really smart, right? We, We learn that Crookshanks' role is much bigger instead of just being an annoying cat. This cat has, he knew Scabbers wasn't Scabbers. Basically yes. is and you learn that specifically in the book and he befriends or I guess Sirius Black befriends Crookshanks mm-hmm. in his dog form. And he's like, yeah, the cat's been helping me like, yeah. try to get Peter Pettigrew <laughs> as the rat, basically. Um, so that doesn't get explained at all. And like in the book, real fast, like Ron and Hermione have a falling out. Huge. They don't talk to Hermione for months. Yeah. 
about because Ron thinks that Crookshanks ate scabbers. And, like, it's not, like, a tiny thing that they just get over. Like, I feel like in the movie, it's, like, there, but it's, like, not that big of a deal. But, like, mm-hmm. they have a falling out real bad about it. It takes a long time for them to make up. Yeah. No, a really long time. So so the fact that when Ron learns about, like, Crookshanks knew it was Peter Pettigrew and, like, that's why and all that stuff, it's, like, Ron feels... It- terrible about it well it really and it, it changes the way ron perceives crookshanks and mm-hmm. it yeah it helps mend that relationship um so that's the first thing like how they get in is different second thing in the movie ron's like screaming and afraid and help harry oh no and in the book it doesn't describe Ron as being fearful like ever. It just describes that he is clearly in a lot of pain because mm-hmm. his leg, I think they mentioned that it's like at a weird angle even. Like it's not just like ripped up. It's like broken. Like from being yeah. dragged into through that and corridor. through like that corridor and stuff. Like his leg's broken. Um, and also, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but the... If you want Harry, you're going to have to kill us too thing. So Ron, on his broken leg, he stands up on his broken leg, Mm. stands in, like, grabs Harry and, like, pull and, like, gets in front of him and says it twice to Sirius Black. Like, "Uh uh-uh, you'll have to kill us too. You'll have to kill me too if you want him kind of thing. Um, And again, he just gets overlooked in the movie. And I don't understand it. Poor Ron, sweet baby angel Ron, just gets disrespected over and over and over again. Um, But the biggest, most glaring issue for me in that Shrieking Shack scene is how they depict Lupin, how they depict Sirius Black, the way the conversation goes. Mm -hmm. Just all of it, it's just wrong. So um, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. So it's not near as much just, like, yelling and screaming. Like, Harry, of course, is angry and does yell in the book, like, this man killed my parents. I know why you're here. I know why you did it. It's because you killed my parents. You want to finish the job. And then Lupin's like, well, I thought so, too. But then, and, and that's another thing, up to this point, Harry did not know Peter Pettigrew was still alive. He never saw Peter on the map. Neither did Lupin. Lupin never knew anything about Peter Pettigrew until he had a sneaking suspicion that Harry, Ron, and Hermione would try to sneak out to see Hagrid when they knew that Buckbeak would be executed. So he was looking on the Marauder's map and he was like, and my suspicion was confirmed. So I was just keeping an eye on you guys to make sure you got back in the castle all right when all of a sudden you were joined by a fourth person. And that fourth person is Peter Pettigrew when they find Scabbers and mm-hmm. Scabbers joins them. And they're all like, fourth person, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah. And then I saw all four of you go off towards the Whomping Willow. And then I saw Sirius, you know, come out. And then I saw two of you get dragged in. And he and Ron's all like, not two of us, it was just me. He and then Lupin's like, no, it was you and your rat. Who isn't really your rat? And like it explains how he figured out that Sirius was actually innocent. And it was very quick and just at the end there. 
So he really hadn't been helping Sirius throughout. Yeah. And the movie my, kind of gives you this impression that maybe he had been helping him. Like the way they had Lupin and Sirius interact was like this weird vibe. And the way that Lupin addressed Harry and Hermione and Ron was like this weird tone where it almost sounded like he could be evil. And I get like yeah, they were probably not trying they were to trying give it away. To, yeah, they were trying it, to like make everybody question things. It but came it just, across confusing. It came across weird. It was confusing. Um, I've mentioned this before. They're too old. Um, <laughs> the actors, yeah. they do a great job. Don't get me wrong. Love them. I appreciate them. They're good, but they're too old. Um, also, it explains how Sirius knew that Peter was alive. Mm-hmm. And it's because when Fudge, which, and you mentioned this, when Fudge had seen uh, Sirius Black the previous year, um, and he gave him his paper to do the crossword. He saw that picture of Ron and his family in Egypt with scabbers on his shoulder. And he even says, he's like, I've seen, you know, I had seen Peter Pettigrew transform into scabbers, you know, into a rat multiple times. I yes. knew him. This is and something- then he noticed that there was a missing finger. This is something that is not made clear in the movie. The fact At that all serious uh James, Peter, we're all anime guesses, anime guys. Animagi. Anima- yeah, Animagi. That. Yeah. Anyways. And so they all knew. So like obviously he would recognize him because they like transformed around each other all the time. Yeah. And and maybe that's something to mention first is a big thing that's explained and talked about in the book is they go into a lot more depth and detail on not only Lupus and Remus's, Lupin. what am I saying? Sirius's, Sirius and Remus's relationship, but also on the four of them, you know, on, on Harry's dad, James, Peter Pettigrew. Mm-hmm. And it explains that they are the marauders. They are the ones, they are who the ones made that made the, the map. marauders map. And they explained how it, it specifically says like, yeah, Sirius was Padfoot. James was prongs. I was Mooney. Peter was because James could turn into a stag, something that was not mentioned at all in the movie. I mean, it's alluded to with Harry's Patronus at the end there, but yeah, it's never fully explained. (laughs) It explains how when you know because Remus was a werewolf, Dumbledore you know made all these special preparations to allow him to still come to school. And the Shrieking Shack and, like, the the passage under the the Whomping Willow was, like, planted specifically so that he could have a place to hide out on Nights of the Full Moon. Mm -hmm. And how he, you know, made these friends and they discovered his secret. And instead of shunning him, they decided that they were going to become Animaguses. And they weren't registered. So... There's They were illegal ones. Yeah. There's a lesson where McGonagall... Because she's an animagus. She turns into mm-hmm. a cat. And so she talks all about it. And they're supposed to be, they're all, re- like, they're registered with the Ministry of Magic. So the Ministry knows. Because there's not very many of them because it's extremely difficult to yeah. do correctly. So when Peter, Sirius, and James all illegally became animagus, animaga, animagia, whatever. Listen. 
they weren't Look, listen <laughs> they weren't registered with ministry so that's why they couldn't figure out how Sirius got out of Azkaban it's and then he turned into a dog explains it <laughs> fully in the book that yeah. he figured out that Peter had been living as a rat this whole time and that because he was Ron's rat he was going to Hogwarts and that's where Harry was and he was afraid that Peter was going to do something to Harry. Mm-hmm. And that was the driving force that made it so that he, he, he got the power and he remained vis- vigilant and strong enough so that one day when they brought him his food, he transformed into a dog and slipped. He was skinny enough to slip through the bars. And the Dementors couldn't tell because, I mean, they don't really have eyes, so. And when they, because they sense people through their emotions. And when he changes into a dog, it kind of, like, blurs yeah. how the Dementors can see, sense so like, him. Like, that's how he gets out. In the movie, you're just left to wonder how the heck did he ever get out. Mm-hmm. Like, you can think about it, like, maybe because he's a dog. but like, Well, and it's even more amazing, too, because in the book they explain, and you've touched on this, too, that Dementors, they... When they strip you of, like, your sense of being and stuff, they strip you of your powers. Mm -hmm. So not only do you not have a wand, but, like, with no sense of being, no sense of self, no like, most wizards, they talk about how most wizards and witches who are in Azkaban, they completely lose their magical abilities. Yeah. So the fact that not only Sirius could keep his mind, but then was able to maintain enough magic to transform into his dog... He's form. dope. <laughs> but it was driven by anger towards Peter to Pettigrew, but then also Harry. a desire to protect Harry. Which is very cute. Which is, and but it's just that whole thing. It also explains, uh, and it goes into a bit more, when Snape shows up, it explains more about why Snape hates them so much. Because Lupin mentions a little bit on like, about why, like, and this is, I don't think this is mentioned in the movies until like the very end. Where it's like, Snape never liked them from the first place. He suspected something was up with, with Lupin in the he because he could tell and he sensed that like once a month he just disappeared and he was trying to figure it out. And, you know, James and Sirius and Peter were all frustrated that Snape was just always like suspicious of them and trying to get them in trouble and trying to get them expelled. So finally, fed up with it, Sirius as a joke but it's not really a joke and i agree quote unquote joke it's it's very serious and he shouldn't have done it it was in poor taste very poor taste says oh yeah like this is how you can get past the whomping willow didn't you know and so snape was going to follow lupin on one of the nights where he would transform into a werewolf and it would have probably he probably would have killed him and james stops him and basically saves his life because in the beginning or in the end of the first book, Dumbledore says the reason Snape hates Harry so much is because of his dad. And the reason he hates his dad so much is because he did something he can't forgive. And that was saving his life. And you're like, what? And then you don't you don't hear about that until this book, the third one, when you learn about how that happened. But if you watch movies, you don't learn about it you for like ever. A long time. And also, again, I know I mentioned this before, but the movies really downplay just how 
awful Snape is to like yeah. everyone. Sn- Snape sucks in this. He's book. so especially mean to Hermione. It's ridiculous. There's a couple times where I was like, how is he still allowed as a teacher? Like, how has no student written to their parents and no parent been like, what the heck? Who are you employing? Honestly. Because it's not just Harry, Ron, and Hermione that are fed up with him. It's everyone. No, that's like, what I'm saying. He's mean. He's a, he's like especially mean to Harry, which is then really saying something because he's mean to everyone, which means he's just downright atrocious to Harry. He's so mean to Neville, which is so sad because yeah, poor, poor Neville. Neville. <laughs> and Snape's his worst fear, as the Boggart mm-hmm. scene shows. So. And like, there's like a scene where not only like it's the werewolf scene where he comes and he's teaching the defense against the dark arts class and he's like getting all like dramatic and being like what do you mean oh lupin's a terrible teacher blah 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 and like i think it's dean thomas who's like he's the best teacher we've had yeah and snape's like well you don't have a very high bar then and he's like, mm. you guys should already be doing this, blah, blah, blah. And he's, like, going on. And, like, well, Lavender Brown steps in. When he asks, he, you know, and, and they do show in the movie where he, like, asks a question. And then he's like, nobody. And Hermione's like, sir, please. Like, my hand's up. Like. Yeah. If you, He's and, deliberately ignoring her. Like, and then yeah. in the book, Ron gets mad. And he's like, don't ask a question if you question. don't want to hear the answer. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, because in the movie, Snape goes, he said, because in the in the book, he does like say, don't open your mouth one more time. That's another five points from Gryffindor because you can't help but open your mouth and be an insufferable know-it-all. And in the movie, they have Ron go, well, he's sort of right, you know, and it's like. No, that's not Ron. Ron is a, a very good friend. Well, and in the book, it specifically says everyone's upset. Even though everyone at one point in time has called Hermione a know-it-all, Ron more yeah. than anyone else. But, but they're that's all upset. Different. And then and then Ron like yells very angrily. He's like, You asked a question. She knows the answer. Like, did you want an answer or not? Like, don't ask a question if you don't want it answered. And then and he gets detention for him. that. Yep. And he has to clean out the bedpans without magic. Which, which is then how he learns that when Professor Lupin is sick. He's not sick in the hospital wing because he was in the hospital wing when doing detention. When Anyway, there's a lot that you learn in the books that you don't in the movies. That's the point, right? But mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's my number one because I think that's the, the, you know, pivotal scene of this movie. It's super important, super impactful, and I feel like they left a lot of very important things out. So, yeah. And before I get into my number one, just like another thing I was thinking about is this movie's interesting because I feel like it does have a more lighthearted tone than the first two. Like, I feel like they try to make it more fun and like energetic, like with Marge flying away into the sky. That doesn't happen in the books. Or like Mm -hmm. the part where they end with Harry on the firebolt, like and the weird like blurred face. Yeah. Like, weird way to end. Well, just in general, when you mention the Marge thing, it's like, when the Marge thing happens, you see, you know, uh, his uncle, you know, Vernon, being like, you're not allowed to do magic outside of school, where are you going to go? But they open the freaking movie with Harry doing spells 
with his wand yes. under his bed so sheets. dumb like, it's a flashlight can you do <laughs> magic under outside of school or not like the movie just cannot make up its mind yeah it's so dumb anyways and so like while i do enjoy that they tried to bring some of the fun into it because the books do have funny parts they do but i felt mm-hmm. like they like missed the mark a little bit and they almost tried to make it too funny and like too energetic with like the whomping willow scene like that that wasn't even in the book we didn't need that or the whole thing with Aunt marge could have been shrunk down or mm-hmm. like there's just a bunch of scenes like that where i'm like or harry flying on buckbeak He's only supposed to, like, fly around a little bit and then come back down. It's not, like, this whole huge scene. And I just felt like they missed the mark. Mm Mm-hmm. So. So something kind of a positive on a negative. (laughs) Um, So this is the first movie where Michael Gambon plays Dumbledore. Oh, yeah. Um. I'd say it's his best performance as Dumbledore. But yeah, I'd say he gets still, worse. He gets worse as the movies go on. Yeah. Um, the next this one. This is his best Ooh. role where he he most closely kind of captures the lightness and like laid back demeanor of Dumbledore. But it's still. It's not the same. Listen, Michael Gambon didn't read any of the books. And it's like, shouldn't you research the character that you're going to portray in multiple movies of a very large franchise with very critical fans? Anyway, it's a big pet peeve of mine. So, Well, I even, I specifically wrote down in my notes, there's a part at the beginning where Dumbledore gets up to give his speech and it says Dumbledore beams at the students. Like he beams at them. He loves them. He loves Mm -hmm. his students. He loves the school. He's full of the love. And I feel like that's what he... Michael, what's his face? Are you talking about Richard Harris, the original Dumbledore? No, no, no. Well, I mean, he got it. I meant this other guy. Michael Gambon? Yes, that guy. Didn't get. That the first actor did get. Was, I felt like he was, I don't want to say heartless, but like, I felt like he just didn't really care that much. That, That sparkle that is all the time talked about and mentioned that like, Dumbledore's really good at, and like you can tell he's like a secretive guy, but he's always got that like gleam in his eye or that sparkle. And like you know, Harry in his eye that just trusts him. Like he just mm-hmm. has this aura about him where people just trust him. And I felt yeah, like and that that's, just wasn't that's not shown so it much. didn't come across. Mm-hmm. Okay, but let me go into my number one before we go too in depth. Yeah. So foreshadowing. There is a ton of of foreshadowing in the books about different things. And I'll go into all the different things, but you get almost none of it in the movie. And the time when they try to do it, they do it poorly. So like for starters with the time Turner and Hermione taking lots of classes. First of all, I don't get what they did in the movie where she just like pops up, pops up. Yeah. That's not how it works. I was like, what? Where? Why would she just pop up? She's like still in existence. Time turn. Yeah, that's not how a time turner works. She's not apparating. It's not like she just appears at a moment in time. She still has to like walk, walk. (laughs) Yeah. And so there were ways in the book where they showed it, like they show in um, when they're in uh, Diagon Alley. She's like buying tons of books, and Ron's like, "Why are you buying so many books?" Like. 
we don't need to take this many classes. And she's like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And like when they get their class schedules, he's like, how is this possible? They have you down for three nine o'clock classes. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like she essentially and she's always doing homework. And she changes the subject. <laughs> yeah. She's always doing homework. So overwhelmed, has so many books in her bag. And Ron's yeah, always and like, she gets like what? more and more irritable as the year goes on because she gets more and more overwhelmed and realizes so many classes. And then it also explains, because that's another thing that in the movies, sorry to like ch- jump in here, but like, no, you're good. She's got the time turner and she's doing all this in the second one. And then like never again, it, in the end of this book, it explains that she's like, I gave it back. It was too much. I realize now it was too much. I'm just going to do a normal class schedule now. And she doesn't have the time turner anymore. She yes. gives it back to McGonagall. Yes. Who then gives it back because to the ministry or something. Because it had made, to be like registered. It's made very clear in the books. Like time turners are a rare commodity. You have to get very special permission to get one. So the messing like with time big deal. has super big consequences. Yeah. So. so like that was one part of like foreshadowing that I felt like they could have done a lot better was with the time turner. Another one before I get into like the big one, I'd say with like future books, even like in this book, you meet Cedric Diggory. He's the seeker and captain of the Hufflepuff Quidditch team. You meet Cho Chang. She's the seeker on the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. Both of whom well, you, become you meet them in the in the book. You don't meet them in the movies. Did I say I uh, mix it up? Sorry. In the book. And then they both become very important in the next book slash movie. Like you see them in the next movie. Little do you know, like mm-hmm. Harry's already interacted with them quite a bit. It would have been so cool if they had the same actor. If they had gotten, what is his name? Robert Pattinson. Pattinson, yeah. Because you do technically see Cedric Diggory in the movie. He's the seeker during the mm-hmm. one Quidditch match that is actually included in the movie who gets struck by lightning, which also doesn't happen in that, that entire happen. scene. Is another one that's totally different in the movie than in the book. Yes. But it's just... He so gets like, struck by... The, so that would have been Cedric because he's the seeker for Hufflepuff. Yeah. But you don't know that in this movie. No. It's never mentioned. It's not and I foreshadowed feel like this isn't all. This isn't like the only occasion. This is just like one example I can think of specifically from this one. But they very frequently almost forget that there's more books to come. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, do you think like, this oh, is the last movie Eventually you're making? <laughs> like, do you not care? So that was one. And then the one of the big ones is with Lupin being a werewolf. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just Snape doing the lesson. It's like he gets ill very frequently. It's like once a month. He's sick. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he's like. Kind of like Snape brings him this potion. Yeah, Snape brings him a potion in front of Harry, and Harry's like, What the heck? Why are you drinking? And Lupin says, It's a very difficult potion to make, and most people won't make it. Yeah. Because they have huge prejudice against werewolves. Like, and like Lupin straight up mentions that the Whomping Willow was put in the same year he came to school. Mm -hmm. Like, to Harry. Speaking (laughs) of werewolf, the way they had Lupin look as a werewolf. Where he doesn't even look like a wolf. It was an interesting it choice. It doesn't match the way he's. it's described at all in the book. Mm-mm. Just another. That was an interesting choice. Thing to throw out there. Yeah. With Off of that, there's the foreshadowing of 
and this is the big one, really, of Peter Pettigrew and Sirius Black and all that. They took out the scene in the beginning where Harry, on his birthday, gets gifts from Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid. Which mm-hmm. is very nice, obviously. It's great. And it's like the first time he has a good birthday because he actually gets gifts. It's very cute. But the Well, not gift- to mention that J.K. Rowling has a habit of a majority of the books open on his birthday or around his birthday. Which is a month before school starts. Just putting that out there again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the gift that Ron gives him, he got in Egypt, I think. That's, yeah, a sneakoscope. He- yeah, and it's a, it's called a sneakoscope. And it essentially is like almost like a little top that like balances on your hand that spins and makes like a whistling sound if there's someone around who like means you harm or is mistrustworthy. Is uh, is untrustworthy, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like this thing at the beginning, you're like, cool, that was fun of Ron. And then on the train, it starts going off. And you're like, what the? And so they just shove it in Harry's trunk because they're like, I don't know why it's going off. And then it's in the in the dormitory, Ron accidentally, like, kicks Harry's trunk and it falls out and it's going off. And they're like, what the heck? And they put it back. And once you get to the end, you realize it's always been going off because Peter Pettigrew's been there as Scabbers. Well, and, it's, and it's when Scabbers is acting all nervous and anxious and Ron's mm-hmm. like, he just hasn't been well. Basically, since Sirius Black escaped, you know, since they yeah, found out that they, Sirius they, Black escaped. Like, Ron says, do. I feel like Scabbers is, like, getting sick or something. Like He, he hasn't, hasn't been, been well, well since we returned from Egypt. And it's like, oh, when, when you were in Sirius Egypt. Black got out. That's when Sirius Black <laughs> saw that picture and he got, you know, and, and, and like, by the end, it all makes sense. And they, yeah. all the puzzle pieces fit. <laughs> or there's the scene with the map. Where when Fred and George give him, give Harry the map, they talk him through all the secret passages and they say, this one's collapsed. Filch knows about all these ones. And this one goes under the Whomping Willow and leads to the Shrieking Shack. So no one uses that one. So no one uses that one. And it's like, they straight up tell you about it. And then they're like, so use this one instead that goes to Honeydukes or whatever. And it's just like little things like that. That kind of add this fun foreshadowing puzzle piece, mm-hmm. like almost detectiveness to it. Well, it's the fun thing about most books, right? That yeah, doesn't you get to often translate into movies very well. You get to figure out as you yeah, go what's all going the foreshadowing. On. And I feel like I've seen movies use foreshadowing very well. This is mm-hmm. not one of them. <laughs> no. And this is, so this is, this is one of the things I struggle with. So the third Harry Potter book is my favorite book of the series. It's so good. And the thing is, is I also do really enjoy the movie as its Mm -hmm. own entity. It is entertaining. They do a good job with, the story is still cohesive. Yeah. Um, It's still a good movie, but when you compare the two. It's crazy. The book is it's my favorite book (laughs) it's my favorite it's just really good it's really well done i don't know if i'd say it's my favorite but it's definitely top three well there are seven books so (laughs) yeah so it's in the top but yeah Um, it's like very interesting or like another thing that is weird is the firebolt harry gets that for christmas and there's no note no hippogriff 
feathers, whatever, like nothing. And everyone's like, whoa, that's awesome. Hermione's like, that's not good. She tells McGonagall. McGonagall confiscates the fireball to mm-hmm. do all these tests on it to make sure it's safe Which before is giving it back. Clash issue between Ron, Harry, and Hermione. Another reason why this, like, another thing that they don't talk to her for a while about. Because like, yeah, they're not friends most of this book. <laughs> yeah. It's just. It's and so it's like this whole thing with the firebolt and then they in the movie they put it at the end and it was just like what why because <laughs> they don't include any other quidditch games in the movie so it didn't matter <laughs> yeah i guess not <laughs> it's a weird way to end it though for sure yeah it is so those are our, those are our issues those are our top grievances yes um, the main ones the main ones at least we do have a couple of fan faux pas to share this week. So I'll share the first one. So this is um, Marley G. She says, I wish the Marauders had been cast as younger people. Their deaths would have hit harder. Amen. Amen. In full agreement. Anybody who has listened to episode one. <laughs> will know that this is a huge pet peeve of mine and something I'm really passionate about throughout the entire series. And I could probably even say for all movies and series in general, that age and experience, uh, like can be very impactful, um, and is very impactful. And so it's something that I judge a lot of. And like in this book, when it describes Lupin, it straight up says, young he is he looks mm-hmm. young and they're like well, it's and it weird. describes and it describes Sirius as young too if not a young skeletal looking man face <laughs> but it says like it's weird that lupin has gray hairs because he looks so young mm-hmm. and it's like it really when i he's picture, so he's really tired for being such a young face yeah like, like when i yeah. picture in my head as i'm reading because i'm one of those people where as i read it's almost like i'm watching a movie in mm-hmm. my head and like when i picture him being this younger like let's say 32 year old guy it's like so much more impactful you know who i almost picture him as too Mm-hmm. I'm not going to remember the actor's name. Oh, no. He plays Spider-Man in the Amazing Spider-Man series. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Andrew, Andrew Garfield. Garfield. Andrew Garfield. I almost picture him as kind of like, uh, you know, like tall, kind of skinny, awkward. kind of awkward. And mm-hmm. especially because they describe him, you know, as he doesn't have very nice robes. He doesn't have, he, you know, his hair is kind of graying, a little bit messy. He looks yeah. tired. He looks a little... Worn. I almost kind of picture him almost as like an Andrew Garfield looking mm-hmm. guy. Not more quite as hair. young as Andrew Garfield <laughs> is in the like the Spider-Man movies, but I think you get my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of just, yeah, awkward, gangly, but like he's known as like the cool teacher because like he Everybody like, loves him. Everyone loves him. There's like a scene with Peeves where Peeves is like messing around and Lupin like tells him what's up and like shoots bubble gum at him and it's like hilarious yeah, he's like everyone pay attention this is probably going to be a useful spell <laughs> and 
like Dean Thomas, I think, is like, whoa, awesome. Like, that's so cool. And like, everyone loves his classes. Everyone mm-hmm. loves him. And for me, I'm Until not Until they find out he's a werewolf. And then that distrust true. and uh, prejudice comes in. And I'm not saying you can't think an older teacher is cool. I don't want anyone out there thinking that that's what I'm saying. But like, I feel like when your teachers are a little bit younger, you think that they're you just You relate like, to them more. Yeah, they're cooler. They're more hip. As I sound like an old person. <laughs> We're hip with the cool kids. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so that's the first fan faux pas. Thank you, Marley, for sending that in. Yep. And the second one is from Amber G. She said, I liked how in the books Hermione slaps Draco in front of Hagrid. So it's just proud and in the open. And then she says, they also seemed a bit more sloppy with the time traveling in the movie. Which is We've touched on. (laughs) Um, So going off the first bit with slapping Draco in front of Hagrid. Yeah, that's so boss. Like it's not even just in front of Hagrid. It's in front of. Like everyone. All of their classmates from Gryffindor and Slytherin because it's it happens while Hagrid is escorting, you know, everybody in the care of magical creatures class back to the main castle that they overhear Malfoy going off. And then, yeah. Yeah. So I agree. It, and again, it's like one of those things where Hermione's awesome in her own right. Mm-hmm. If they would just include the scenes where she's being cool. Like, obviously, it's still cool in the movie that she punches him. But, like, in the book, it's in front of everyone. She doesn't care. She goes up and she slaps him. And I think a slap comes And then just starts calling him a, a bunch of mean names and then pulls her wand out. Yeah. And that's when they run away. Mm-hmm. They do it in, like, the opposite way in the movie. Where first it's her wand and, like, Malfoy's, like, quivering and then she pulls her wand back and then punches him and it's like she pulls her wand out after she's already hit him in the book (laughs) yeah well because i mean think about it she grew up in a muggle family her first instinct isn't go for my wand her first instinct is let me teach this man a lesson (laughs) yeah honestly and then with the time traveling thing i totally agree it was definitely sloppier I don't know what they were thinking when they did it. I I mean, it was cool and some of it was accurate, but a huge chunk of it wasn't. It's like they didn't care as much about the rules. (laughs) They were just trying to make it more entertaining, you know, with like, oh, Hermione thinks she gets a glimpse of herself. Like none of that kind of stuff happens in the book. Mm -hmm. But yes, thank you, Amber, for that comment. I totally agree. That is a good point. Like we mentioned earlier, um, get involved on our social media or send an email to us um, at tbwbpodcast at gmail.com. And you could have your fan faux pas uh, shared in a future podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we need to wrap this up. But yes, we've been going for a while. This was a longer one. Very passionate about this book. Like I said, it is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess uh, to finish it out, the question is, is the book better? I have a hunch what your answer is going to (laughs) be. 100%. The book was so much better. Yeah. Like in this case specifically, and and we even mentioned this, 
that like the first two movies and granted also the first two books are the shortest books, mm-hmm. but the first two movies don't stray too far. And it, it's mostly just omissions, right? Like they just cut something out, but the things they include are pretty close, pretty spot on. Yeah. This is the first time that we really see that what they even included is also pretty drastically different from how it happened in the book. Yeah. And you mentioned that it's a a very telling thing that like, well, yeah, this one's a different director. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'd have to agree again. Like, obviously the movie is good in and of itself. I really mm, enjoy still this entertaining. Movie. It's not like we and hate the when movie. I'm, when I'm not watching it with a critic's eye, I really <laughs> like it. But if you want to truly enjoy the story, then oh, you have read to read the book. The book. You're just you're missing so much. That really adds. cool background. It just like, builds the world up. The world it builds gets the world up. up it builds the characters. Like I love so many of these characters because of what happens in the book and what you learn about them in the book and how much more included they are in the book. Like the Percy, entire Weasley family, Ginny, Fred, George, like. Even Seamus and Dean and Neville. Well, and then also, again, we've mentioned this before, too. If you just watch the movies, there's really not many female characters. If you read the books, there's quite a few more. Mm -hmm. And they, like, a big chunk of the the Harry Potter, (laughs) the Gryffindor Quidditch team, all three of the chasers are girls. Mm -hmm. And they have a bigger role. And you mm-hmm. learn Same to love with them you, too. You, you hear more about uh, Pansy Parkinson, who mm-hmm. is a Slytherin. Um, Lavender Brown. Lavender Brown is um, a Gryffindor. Um, what's her face? Pavardi. The Patil twins, Patil. who are in Gryffindor. Like there's, mm-hmm. and they have more of a role, and they influence scenes, and they influence, you know, the how story, you learn yeah. certain information and. So, yeah, again, as we always say, if you haven't read the book, highly recommend or listen to it if you're not into reading. Jim Dale is great. (laughs) But yes, 10 out of 10 would recommend reading. But also the movie is great, but sorry, the book was better. (laughs) Book was indeed better. Um. So tune in next time when we will be doing the fourth Harry Potter book and movie, The Goblet of Fire. Um, This one's going to be a doozy. That one's going to. And it's also a really long book. So, yes. So we're going to try our hardest to keep next week's episode about the same length as this week's. But we'll see how that goes. We'll do our best. We'll do our best. But um, if you want to attempt to also um read that book within the time if if you're one of those people that are like want to follow along and reread and rewatch and kind of analyze along with us um you can do that otherwise just tune in to hear our insights in two weeks time on the goblet of fire yep so until then goodbye goodbye